explaining that Mike and I grew up in the church. We have been Christians our entire lives, and I'm a missionary kid, and he's a pastor's kid. So we were grafted in to the faith. It's kind of all we've ever known. And one year after getting married, we headed off to the mission field to be missionaries ourselves. And for the first 10 years there, life was really good. Uh, we were serving and teaching missionary kids and embassy kids and um, business kids from all around the globe. And um, we were supporting and aiding the parents all across West Africa that were advancing the kingdom of God. Uh, it was very exciting. Our programs were booming. Students were on fire for God. Um, we had an outreach program that we were actively invested in through the school um, that Mike and I were going to take over when the people in charge of it left. And we just felt like Senegal was on the verge of a revival, and we were really excited to be a part of it. Um, we also had about 20-something different nationalities represented in our congregation at our church there at the school, and missionaries from very diverse denominations. And it wasn't uncommon in the least for us to see a charismatic AG missionary worshiping right alongside a conservative Baptist missionary. And I remember thinking when I would worship in that congregation so diverse, this is a glimpse of heaven. The glimpse of heaven is what was lost in the garden but has been redeemed through Christ. And I thought, it's so beautifully diverse, and yet we are unified, redeemed people. And suffice to say, we felt like we were in our sweet spot, and we loved what we were doing. But during our last year or two in Senegal, uh, things took a turn. During the 2018 and 19 school year, we encountered a great deal of stress uh, with the change in leadership. And we now kind of understand that it was an unhealthy balance in priorities. Uh, it resulted in low staff morale across the board. The environment of tolerance uh, towards other believers' views began to subtly change as well, to the point that staff were asked, or honestly required, not to talk about certain aspects of their faith involving more controversial topics like uh, gifts of the Spirit, miracles, or personal encounters with God. And because of my involvement in administration, our work environment turned pretty toxic. And by the end of the year, I was experiencing full-blown burnout. This is a combination of from the external factors of my job situation and my own choices and response to that stress that caused that. So here's the paradox. We've been missionaries. We were missionaries for over a decade. On the list of who's who for spiritual powerhouses, aren't missionaries supposed to be kind of at the top? Aren't missionaries supposed to be the best of the best, the most virtuous, the most godly? If that's what you think, we are here to relieve you of that misperception. Missionaries are fallen people just like the rest of us. And if anything, that category of people may struggle more with what we're talking about today than others. And that is out-of-order priorities. More on that in a minute, but first I do want to elaborate a bit on burnout to make sure it's clear on what we're talking about. This is not just being tired. Uh, this is serious stuff. It requires serious life change to address. In our case, it required leaving the mission field for a, a time. 
Take a look at these uh, symptoms. Fatigue, overcommitment, fear of failure or missing out, numbness to calling and purpose, depression, isolation from God and others with no desire for real community, developing a false sense of community obsession with social media clout and influence, seeing others as competition and therefore a threat, striving to control your career, attempting to control others, valuing others for what they can do for you, measuring your own worth by what you can do for others, moral failure, discouragement, diminishment, deeply questioning your faith, God's love and truth, and even his existence. From that list, it should be clear that something was very, very wrong. And it happened over a period of time. It was an erosion that I hardly even noticed. Um, but when we finally did, we realized that a drastic change needed to take place. I was disconnected. I isolated myself from God, from my family, from my friends, even my true self. And one major symptom that I realized later, looking back, was that I had a nearly complete absence of the fruit of the Spirit. In place of that fruit, I had bitterness, pride, selfishness, and I didn't even notice it. It all happened so gradually, I missed it until it was too late. I was still serving most of my roles as a missionary, but I was separate from the Holy Spirit and not showing any fruit. It was an identity crisis. Uh, we came off the mission field tired, beaten down, feeling like failures. What had just happened? And the way we described it to our sending church, United Evangelical Free Church, back in 2020, was that a major lesson we had learned over the course of our past year was regarding our own struggle with priorities. For so many years, we believe that serving God equals relationship with God. And it's not the same. Because of this mix-up in priorities, we often found ourselves serving from an empty tank and attempting to fill it through our own means, our own strength, and our own abilities. Galatians 3.3 says... Are you so foolish? After being with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Yes, guilty. Uh, and one of the words of my favorite author, one of my favorite authors, Jenny Allen, I realized that I had been intoxicated with the mission of God rather than God himself. Um, I think it's another strategy of the enemy to distract us from living out our full potential. And I think it makes it feel and seem like what we're doing is good and beautiful and right, but we're missing the whole point if it's about what we are doing and not who we are serving. And, and please don't get us wrong, because service is good, and as your children's ministry directors, we are not going to discourage that at all. Please come and, and volunteer in our program. But um, I think what we discovered is how we were going about serving him wasn't sustainable. And I know personally, like Mike said, I was, I was serving him to fill my cup instead of letting him fill me first. And, and you do that through cultivating a relationship with him through dedicated time. And that should overflow into service from there. So God used the year of 2020. Um, we were jobless. 
um, ministryless and communityless because we hadn't met y'all yet. Um, and uh, he and I actually thought that we were purposeless, honestly. Um, but he was teaching me that instead of doing, he wanted me to just be. Be still and know, Mindy, from Psalms. And, and just to know that I don't, didn't find my identity in what I did as a missionary or teacher or mentor or coach or whatever, but who I am, which is a child of the Most High King. And I can be rooted firmly in that identity. Um, so when I lost all my other identities, I clung to this one. And we shared all of that in February. No, sorry, in the fall. And then in February, I laid my hands on a book that put into words exactly what we have been trying to say. And it's called The Life You Long For by Christy Knuckles. And she describes this allegory of a bullseye. And the outermost circle represents our capacity. So that's our achievements, our dreams and wants, and the endless to-do list that goes with that, right? Um, and the circle just inside that represents our relationships, our community, so our marriage, children, family. And then the bullseye at the center represents God's heart and our identity and our calling. And she refers to this as his beloved because that's our identity. We are loved by God. And the main point of the book is that we can tackle life and as Christians in two ways. We can go outside in where we deal with the outer ring first. And you can see that in the um, image there, there's a circle. And they're just going around and around and around in that circle. And it's hard to make your way in towards that calling. Um, so you can go that way, which is exhausting. Um, if you have time, you can maybe make it to the bullseye. But from the inside out is where we start with the bullseye. And when I looked at this example of outside and living, it, it struck me with this lightning bolt clarity that this is what I was doing. This is what was wrong with me. This is why I was so tired. And this is why I didn't feel as fulfilled in what I was doing as I really should have been. So I thought, this, this is it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, different circumstances, but a similar conclusion. We were, we were both living outside in. I spent so much of my ministry trying to serve God and show God's love to the people around me in my own strength rather than intentionally and supernaturally living out from Him, which is where we find that abundant life, that joy and strength for the spirit, body, and soul. But for me, God was always the last resort. I would turn to Him only after I exhausted all of my own approaches and solutions, and this can have disastrous consequences. Often when something wouldn't go the way I thought it would, I would actually double down and get stubborn about persisting until I achieved what God wanted to have happen. I'd get laser focused on my contribution. I would just focus on that and I would shut out the influences in my life that might actually help me to reach a solution in the way that God would want it. Outside, out, outside in living means that sometimes the harder you try to please God on your own, the further away from Him you'll get. You should write that down. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, it's the reason why Christians like me and others are or already have burned out. Uh, I'm not burned out anymore, by the way, but I have been restored from that. But... Um, So 
some people are giving up altogether because it's just too hard. You just try and you try and you just get tired and you just, there's no solution and so you just give up. So maybe you, some of you can relate to this. Here's my, here's my day. Here's my life, okay? It's really early in the morning. It's not time to get up yet, but the kids decide it's time to get up, and so we're up. And I need coffee, but they need breakfast, and they need clothes, and they need this and that and the other thing, and so it has to wait. And then they need everything until it's time to rush them out the door and get them to school, just in the nick of time. Kylie's always the very one, last one in line at school. I drop her off at 8, 29, 30, and she gets there. So I come to work, and I do work, and then I go home, and the kids are there because I finish work when the kids get off. And so then the kids need a snack, and they need water, and they need a Band-Aid, and they need everything. And then you got to feed them, and then they eat dinner, and then you got to do the bathing and all the other stuff, and then they go to bed. And so now finally it's me time, except it's not because they need another Band-Aid and more water and all that thing. And then finally, finally, it's bedtime for them, and now it's me time, and now I have a choice. I have some choices. I can have devos. I could exercise. I could connect with my wife. I could drink. I could watch TV. I could sleep. There's all these options. What are the ones that we typically skip most quickly? It's the healthy ones, devotions, exercise, relationship, right? That's the outside in. You're spending all your time doing, 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 and you don't, when you get to the end of your day and you finally have time to get to that middle, you don't have time and you don't do it. That's the thing uh, that keeps happening to us when we live this way. Do you, do you realize, you recognize the lie that we're believing here? Many of us think that we have a calling or an assignment that's divine. It's what God wants you to do. It might be being a parent. It might be being a spouse. It might be your career, your ministry, any number of things. It's what we're supposed to do. And then we sacrifice those peripheral things for the sake of getting that done. We sacrifice exercising relationship and devotions and our focus is on the performance, it's on the product, it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable. If you haven't already failed, you will if you do it yourself. It's counterproductive. It leads us in the opposite direction of where God would have us go. Christy Knuckles, uh, in her book, she elaborates, and what she focuses on is that the bullseye is the who and whose that you are, and the outer ring is the what and the why that you are. And it's not that what and why isn't important. It's just the order. You have to know who and whose you are before you tackle the what and the why, or you're going to fail. Jesus himself said in Matthew, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So this inside-out living is showing how we are meant to begin each day from the place in God's heart, right? It's a key to living our fullest God capacity to a barren world. 
And I think that's what Christ meant when he talked about having abundant life. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly, which means full of joy and strength. So how does living inside out give us that abundant life? And because maybe you say, oh, that's great, Mindy, but I just feel tired. Well, I don't know about you, but this season of COVID and the state of political and social unrest that we've been experiencing has been tiring. And Mike and I did burn out on religion, but we didn't burn out on Jesus. I think this is why Pastor Scott's kingdom-minded focus here at KCC is really important. I think we saw what happened in our last place of ministry when we let squabbles over issues of doctrine and other opinions come between us as the body of Christ. And it fractured us, and it, the repercussions were devastating it's, and not worth it. And over issues of no eternal significance. So similarly here at KCC, uh, I may not believe the same as you on any number of controversial topics, but do you love Jesus? I do, a lot. And I think that that should unite us more than anything else. And if you don't, can I tell you about him? Because he's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> but I think that needs to be one of the most important issues as believers, is we are united under the banner of Christ's love. And nothing should be able to divide us from that. And if something does, I think that's coming from another source. One that's trying to divide us and derail and distract us. And like I talked about earlier, when I saw that tiny glimmer uh, and that striking glimpse of heaven and the way that we were united as, with so many different denominations and so many nationalities, I think that kind of unity is powerful and demonstrative and is a witness for his supernatural grace and love. I think, like I said, it, what, was lo what was lost in the garden, but it can be redeemed and reclaimed if we are living from the heart of Christ. And this actually reminds me of my uh, spunky middle child, CJ. Mike and I actually have a document where we write down everything he says because he's, he's quite funny. Um, but when he was three, um, he had always heard about Jesus uh, living in our hearts, and he knew about it recently from his older sister. Um, and so one night, he turns to my mom, who is babysitting him, and all earnestness, he asks, you put it up, Sonia? I know Jesus is in my heart, but I don't know what he's doing in there. From the mouths of babes, I think if we let him, he's changing us from the inside out. That's why we say we invite him into our heart, is he's changing us, he's transforming us. So after returning from the mission field, burned out and broken, uh, we discovered the importance of living this way. Uh, and we just fell headfirst into this complete and utter dependency on him, um, even more than any other time in our lives, even as missionaries, even when our first child was born with many medical issues. Um, if I didn't have that critical one-on-one -on -one time with God every day, I could see it reflected in my behavior and in my attitude. I needed it more than I needed my next breath. I needed that time to what I call reorient um, to this external or eternal focus, to start from that inner ring of God's heart. Um, so, but I do remember grappling one night with God during that year where we weren't doing much. Um, we were on COVID lockdown. We didn't have a job. And in the thick of being jobless and ministryless, 
which I thought was aimless and purposeless, I asked him, what's next, God? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What's, what's next? And his very clear response, this, Mindy, we're doing this. And at the time, I was rocking my youngest child to sleep, and I was praying, and I was singing worship music, and I was just connecting with God on just enjoying his presence, that very transformational presence, and just letting him change me from the inside out. But he made his point very clear. Just be. Okay, so realistically, uh, what does this look like? How do you allow God to fill your tank uh, when you feel like you're running empty? For us, it took leaving the mission field to resume a jobless, isolated, during pandemic lifestyle to force us to slow down and finally figure out how to do this daily one-on-one time with God. I'm going to give you two points. If you want to write anything down, this is it. We have a two-pronged approach. This is how our life has changed since becoming non-missionaries in ways that we hope is helpful for you, and maybe you can uh, try to mimic in, in the way that works for you. But two points. Number one, be alone. And number two, don't be alone. So be alone. For us, when we were outside in, running in circles, we never had time for devotions. We never had time for that quiet time. It was obligatory if, at best, we did it every once in a while. Now it is 100% our first priority. We have figured it out. We have three little kids, but we found a way. At 5 o'clock every day, 5 p.m., I take the kids, I make dinner, and Mindy goes and has her devotion. She spends her time with her favorite and just spends an hour in, in time with prayer and reading. And I make dinner. She comes back upstairs to a nice cooked meal, and, and she gets to have dinner. Then at 7 p.m., we switch. And she takes the kids, and she cleans the house and does the pajamas and all of that stuff, and I get my time. And then I come up to a clean house and the pajama-clad kids and everything, and it works. It works for us. I encourage you to find a time and prioritize that time. This is so important to us now that if ever anything comes in the way of those two times during our day, those are the first two things that get rescheduled to a different time of the day. It works. It, it made a huge difference in our life. The other thing that we do that I think is probably equally important is don't be alone. And what I mean by that is after you do this kind of thing, you need to share it with somebody. So for us, after the kids go down, the very first thing we do is we share our our experience, our devotions with each other. It provides accountability and it provides encouragement because of the number of times that there's convergence where the Holy Spirit's speaking to us on similar topics without us knowing. And so finding somebody to share this with as well is so important, whether it be your spouse, a family member, a roommate, a friend, maybe there's someone in this church you could connect with. There's a novel idea. Life groups, all kinds of other options, but we think it's so important to be alone and to don't be alone. We're not saying we have this all figured out. Um, I, we, we slip into that tendency of living outside in all the time still. It's a hard habit to break, but uh, understanding this, this um, living out the concept day-to-day has been a game-changer for us. And I'm not even sure it's always quite as much about having a quiet time as it is about being that quiet time. Just be. I, I think it's vital to get alone with God and, and dive into his word, um, but it's not a transactional exchange. 
right? We were made to experience this life-changing transformation in his presence. Um, so however that looks for you. Um, but this testimony-based lesson has taken my entire life thus far to start the process of figuring out. And I still am every day. Like Mike said, we don't have them figured out. Our lives aren't perfect. It's still crazy. We still get tired. But um, I really honestly feel a little gypped that I learned this lesson a little later in life. I wish I'd learned it as a teenager, okay, how important this is. Because um, I figure I've been a Christian for 30 plus years, and I've missed out on some really important stuff, okay, to that connection with God. Um, and I feel like I've just now kind of woken up. Um, so I want to bring this testimony home with one more story. Um, it happened to me in the fall of 2019, and I wrote it down because I love the art of storytelling. And I hope you'll bear with me while I read it. Um, remember, before this, I was a children's librarian at our school, so consider this story time with Mindy, okay? In this grand new intimacy that has been evolving between me and Jesus, the story that has stood out to me with the most clarity and undeniability is the day that he gave me a title. I know how that sounds. I sound like a wacko. Jesus gave you a title? How about Miss Dramatic or Miss Thinks She's Something Special? I really, really don't. And that's why this was a, actually a major point of doubt and confusion for a while, because I don't think I'm special, so I was second-guessing that I even heard right. It all began with a book that was recommended to me by a friend's pastor, The Invitation by Tony Stoltzfus. It's a book about transforming us by filling our hearts with our deepest, most intimate desires through Christ. It was a game-changer for me. In this book, he has questions that we ask God. I know, this is already sounding hokey and mystical and weird, right? I was never one to hear directly from God. My prayer life was pretty one-sided, me praying, him seemingly silent. I was gun-shy at first about asking God these posed questions from a book, but as time went on, I began to hear him answer. The responses always lined up with scripture while still being deeply personal and life-changing for me. I had never experienced this level of raw, vulnerable intimacy in my walk with Jesus before, and it couldn't have come at a more necessary time. I began depending on my daily time with him just to get through the day. I shared these special moments with a handful of close and trustworthy people in my life, but I also kept wondering, is this really from God, or is this coming from my subconscious? Am I simply telling myself what I want to hear? This is where the title comes in. This is how I knew that it was not from my subconscious or my own mind. This is when I knew God was truly speaking to my heart. On November 28, 2019, during the weekend of my final outreach in Senegal, before leaving the mission field, I huddled in my tent, glistening with sweat, as I sat cross-legged on my sleeping bag, armed with a flashlight, my Bible, and this book. It was time to reorient, which is what I had begun referring to my devotional time. I needed that time to reorient back to his eternal perspective as much as I needed my next breath. I couldn't get through the day without it. I remember this all so vividly because that particular day is when I read the question, Jesus, if you could give me a title that reflects how you see me, what would that title be? At first, I could tell that my brain tried to answer. Immediately, it began to shoot through various suggestions and I had to tell my mind to hush. And as I attempted to push my own thoughts away and listen in that quiet, mosquito-riddled stillness of the night, I heard, Wanderer. This struck me so odd and not something I would have chosen for myself or really a word that I ever use. 
In fact, as I thought through biblical implications, it did not make me sound good. I even said out loud to God, are you sure that's the title you want to give me? When my bartering did not make him change his mind, I grabbed my phone, pulled up my data, and turned to Google to do a little research on this title. And when I typed in wanderer, the phrase wander above the sea of fog popped up as one of the first options. It's a piece of art depicting a figure standing in contemplation and self-reflection, wondering about the unforeseen future. I did see myself as that wanderer, reflecting on my life and my unknown future and leaving the mission field and everything I knew and cared about. This was quite the accurate portrayal of the life I had always known, seemingly hanging in balance with uncertainty, like a blanket of fog. But alas, I needed more. With thumbs ablaze, I continued to scroll and happened upon a Christian hymn called Wanderer Song. As my eyes poured over the lyrics, the phrase, you have placed your work between us, come and talk with me a while, needled my heart with its pointed truth and brought tender tears to my eyes. Yes, my ministry had taken priority, if not completely taken over my relationship with Jesus. The entire hymn had resonated deep within my soul and rattled me to my core with its accuracy. The words from this hymn alone were enough to solidify this identity of wanderer, but I wasn't yet convinced. I needed more proof that this was from God. What if my brain had thrown out some random word, albeit one I had never used before this day? And if this was from God, what did he mean by the term wanderer? Later that night, sitting side by side in the African dirt, clad in our dust-covered panyas and leaning against an old brick well in the middle of the compound, my sister Amber and I tried to unravel the mystery around Wanderer. Do you think this has to do with the fact that you're leaving? Amber asked me as we stared up at the brilliant expanse of stars dotting a velvet black sky. Then deep in thought she added, maybe because this has always been your home, you are going to be rootless for a while, like a wanderer, and he wants you to find your home in him. Home, that's a touchy topic for any missionary kid. And yes, West Africa has been and always will be my home. I was not looking forward to leaving and knew it was going to be a rough transition, one that I was already bucking. It could be, I replied, nodding thoughtfully as I stared up into the sky forlornly, a pang in my heart. As I sat, smelling the rich, tangy scent of the mango trees in the air, feeling the cool evening breeze against my face and drinking in the glorious African night sky that never failed to make me feel enveloped in all its expansive grandeur. I missed it already. Over the course of the next day or two, I looked for signs to confirm my wanderer identity, but nothing came of it. After a long, grueling, bumpy 10-hour car ride back to the capital city, Dakar, I gathered up my belongings and with full arms and a full heart, made my way back to my husband, Mike, and our trio of energetic kids waiting for me at home. That night, after our three-ring circus had gotten their fill of goodnight kisses and stories and hit the hay, Mike and I finally had our first chance to sit and chat since my return. I remember talking about the specifics of the outreach without diving straight into Wanderer. Neither of us had had much experience with hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. I was just at the beginning of this myself, and I didn't know how Mike would take it. Mike started talking about the book, The Invitation, that he had begun while I was gone, and I recall him saying something to the effect of, I think we're just in a season of wandering, honey. The hairs on my arms stood up. My eyebrows furrowed and tears flooded my eyes. Wait, what did you say? Mike cocked his head and knew he had hit a nerve. I could see the curiosity flashing in his eyes as he sat up straighter. That meant something to you. What is it? What did I say? I entered into eager interrogator mode. What did, where did you hear that? Why did you say that? A season of wandering? Mike's eyebrows creased. I could practically see the wheels turning in his head. I read it in the book, The Invitation. 
At this point, my hope actually deflated. Oh no, it was something I'd already read before, so my subconscious must have concocted the whole thing. Maybe this wasn't from God after all. Still, I proceeded to tell Mike why the term he had so casually thrown out there had caught my attention so thoroughly. His eyes lit up and he shouted, yes, I confirmed it. You were waiting for confirmation and it came from me. <laughs> but something still held me back from completely believing that. Also, it dawned on me that the term wanderer was not in that book. Season of wandering isn't from that book, I said. I think you're thinking the wilderness season. At first, Mike's balloon seemed to have deflated. But then he puffed out his chest and doubled down. Well then, maybe that's even more of a confirmation. You thought it was just a term from a book I read, but instead I used the word you were looking for. Nope, I said, still unconvinced. You just used the wrong word. <laughs> About a week later, I sat in my daughter's near empty room, staring at the remnants of what was left. Pockmarked nail holes in the concrete walls where we had hung bright multicolored decorations to delight our artistic daughter's personality a blank spot where a bulletin board once hung, full of her own displayed artwork, the dusty faded silhouette of a purple-black tree decal that had since been stripped off the wall, empty hangers in a barren closet. We were leaving the next day. I stared at the hazy stream of sunlight streaking through the window through blurry, tear-filled eyes. I now know why people call this feeling heavy-hearted. It felt like a literal weight pushing down on my chest, like I couldn't breathe. It wasn't ready. How could I leave? This was my home. Snapping my Bible shut, I sighed. I had received some incredible insights from my reorienting devotional time, but no more explanation on the term wanderer. I had somewhat resigned myself to the fact that it might be months, even years, before I would find out just why that particular title had been given to me. Standing up, I trudged the door and opened it, fortifying myself for the endless onslaught of last-minute errands and packing. But then something bright yellow caught my eye, left right outside the door for me to find. Stooping low, I reached out and grabbed it, a book not one I recognized or had ever owned. My heart started hammering when my eyes caught sight of the bold title etched, Born to Wander. What? My hands now shaking, I turned the book over and read, all of us have a little wanderlust, a desire for that next thing, that new place, but this competes with our longings for security, control, and safety. We don't like feeling unsettled and uprooted, but the truth is that God has a profound purpose for leading us into times of wandering. At this point, I had to stop reading because the words had blurred together in a haze of misty tears. Hastily swiping them away in my eagerness to hear more, it continued, Born to wander reminds us that God's people have always been exiles and wanderers. And this is good news because exile transforms us. In Christ, directionless wanderers become pilgrim followers who have a clear purpose and a secure identity. Author Michelle Van Loon will help you own your pilgrim identity and reorient your heart toward the God who leads you home. Dude, she stole my word, I thought, through tearful laughter. Reorient? Seriously? Clear purpose and identity, she says to the burned-out, directionless missionary leaving the field, leads me home? Shaking my head in bewilderment, I read the last line. If you keep chasing security, you'll never find it. Embrace the purpose behind the wandering and discover the freedom and safety of resting in God alone. This is where I imagine God was giddily waiting for my jaw to drop and my mind, and my mind to begin the cascade of stammering one-word questions. How? Why? What? I imagine his fervent anticipation might have mimicked my own eager husband's as I recall his head peering around the corner of the hallway, eyes alit and grin a mile wide. A literal giggle erupted from his throat. You found it, he exclaimed, walking toward me with his hands clasped together. 
The stammering questions coursed away from my brain, flooding out my mouth. Where did this come from? How did we get this? Why? Why? Mike rocked back on his heels, his hands now clasped behind his back, his eyes flashing in the same excitement I could feel coursing through my own veins. He then launched into a story that entailed several annoyingly unnecessary trips to the school's business office, to which on the third trip, he accepted a package in our name, sent months ago from Wheaton College, his alma mater, as a courtesy missionary gift package that was sent once a year to any Wheaton missionary alumni. It was so random and so personal, just like God. Laugh crying, I looked down at my little yellow miracle book, awestruck by God's intricate timing in orchestrating this seemingly small, but rather poignant, powerful gesture in the juncture of this story. My story. Our story. Mike and I locked glassy eyes and shared a teary, knowing smile. We both knew what this confirmed for me. Not only the title he had given me, but all of it. All of the words of knowledge I had been hearing. It wasn't in my head. I couldn't have made this one up if I had tried. It was all real. I was really his wanderer, his little wanderer. <laughs> so you may be thinking, that's really cool, Mindy, but why did you share that? Well, for one, I've never had these kind of experiences um, or even really sought them out. I was always a good Christian girl, uh, knew my Bible, and I served God diligently. Um, but I never would have described myself as a Jesus fanatic. Not until I actually started spending time with him and getting to know him. And now I, I can't seem to get enough of him. And I, I feel like I've woken up, and that head knowledge that I always had as a kid of Scripture has traveled down into my heart, and I've experienced him in a profound way so that I understand those verses in a new way that I haven't before. And so... I just want to encourage you in sharing my testimony because your story may not look like mine. God interacts with us in all drastically different ways, but I think that's why he encourages us to give our testimonies to each other because he is so personal, and you are going to experience him in a different way than I do. And so all of our experiences collectively shows God in such intricate and neat and profound and diverse ways. So if there's a small hint of a chance that sharing my testimony can encourage even one of you to dive headfirst into a deep, authentic relationship with Jesus, then being this vulnerable and sharing my testimony will be worth it. Uh, the, last the last quote we want to share with you is this, is from the book. Jesus called for us to live out from the love of the Father and to the world around us isn't just a side note. It is the strategy, the driving principle of his kingdom. He meant this is a serious means of ministry that would change the world. Beloved, my prayer is that this makes your corner of the world feel suddenly monumental and potentially miraculous. It is time for us to take our place in all that God has prepared for us, and he wants us to lead others to wake up too. And Mindy especially perked up at this last line when she read it for obvious reasons. You need not wander far to discover he has and always will be the life you long for. Let's have the worship team come on back up, and we're going to close in prayer. Father, thank you that we have testimonies to share and that we have a place where we can do that. We thank you that you are personal and intimate and that you care about us and you care more about us and our relationship with you 
than the product and the work that we do. And so I just ask that we could uh, learn from this, be reminded from, about this, that we live from the inside out, that we seek your heart, that we seek your, uh, your love, and then that from that we can flow out into the world and share your love with others. Amen.